Well, good evening, everybody, and a warm welcome to you all, and a warm welcome to those of you online or in the Sunday School as well. Good to have you with us, uh, especially if you're a visitor, and maybe for the first time, uh, it's good to have you. Uh, and a special welcome as well to Rupert Bentley-Taylor, who's uh, very kindly joined us uh, to speak to us today. So we're very thankful for your ministry. Uh, thank you for this morning. And uh, we're looking forward to this evening as well. Uh, we're looking at Psalm 33, and we have the title, Reasons to Sing. So something to very much look forward to. Um, and I recommend as well having uh, Bibles open. I said it last couple of weeks as well. Um, it really helps just to follow through what we're looking at as we go through it. So uh, either grab one from the back um, or have it on your phone or something if necessary. Um, but have it open and it, you'll really see where Rupert's speaking from. Just going to read just a couple of verses from Psalm 63. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Let me read that again. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Let's ask God to help us and be with us this evening. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us safely together this evening. And Lord, thank you for technology so that those who can't be here can watch online. Lord, I pray that you would be with us in a special way this evening. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through Rupert so that we may hear your voice and that it may challenge us and encourage us and change us tonight. Lord, speak to our hearts, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to stand and uh, reflect on the words of our first song, Who Has Held the Oceans in His Hands? This song really encourages us just to stop and behold our God, because nothing can compare to Him. So when the music starts, stand up and let's think about what this song is telling us.
Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord of the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of men. From, there, from where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and deserves all their deeds, observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Amen. Well, looking forward to hearing more on that psalm later. Just a few um, notices uh, before we pray. The YP letter for the holiday is now out, 
So if you are booked on the YP holiday this year, uh, come and see me afterwards and I'll give you one of these letters. And parents, there are little bits for you in there as well. So uh, come and grab me for one of those after. Thursday is home groups. It was on there, hopefully you saw it. But just a reminder, home groups on Thursday, so your home group leader will be in touch with you soon. Uh, on Tuesday the 20th of July, just a date for your diaries, we've got a quarterly church meeting. So something to take note of, 20th of July, Tuesday's quarterly church meeting. Just to say as well, uh, out in the foyer there are, I believe, some Sussex Gospel Partnership leaflets. Um, A good number of us here have done the course, whether it be on a Tuesday or Saturday morning. Um, It's quite a commitment, but I thoroughly recommend it. Um, And if you want to know more of the Bible, you want to understand more of it, then... Uh, I really recommend at least having a look at the leaflets and I'd recommend chatting to someone who's done it as well. It might be really helpful for you. And next Sunday evening, God willing, just to say that obviously weather dependent, we've already had to shift it back once, uh, but we're hoping to have the uh, sing afterwards. Um, So that's July the 11th, so the evening service will be at 6pm, God willing, next week, weather dependent. So we'll let you know if that's not the case, but as it stands, 6pm next week, and then afterwards we'll be having some outdoor singing, God willing, and after tonight and the theme of Rupert's message, I hope that it will be packed out. Well, let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that you have been rightly described as the rock. Lord, you are immovable, you are trustworthy, you are everlasting, you are greater than us. Lord, I thank you so much, uh, Lord, that many of us can describe you not just as a rock or the rock, but my rock. And Lord, I thank you for how special that is. And Lord, for any who don't know you as their rock, Lord, I pray Uh, that they would come to know you as their rock. Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, that you wouldn't just be a part of our life. Uh, Lord, that we would know that you are our life. Uh, Lord, you are the very source of life, and I pray that we would know that. Lord, that psalm that we looked at this morning reminded us, uh, Lord, that you are our rock, Lord, you are our strength and our shield. And Lord, that you are our shepherd. And I thank you for that. Lord, we thought this morning as well about the church and the worldwide church. And so Lord, I pray for our church. Lord, especially the persecuted church. Lord, I pray that that we and they especially, Lord, would trust in you. And Lord, because they trust in you, Lord, that they would rejoice in you. Lord, we thank you so much for the example of Paul in the Bible. Lord, who went through so many difficulties, so much suffering, so many sacrifices for you. And yet, Lord, he trusted in you and he was able to rejoice in circumstances in which many of us would have been utterly miserable. Lord, he was able to rejoice because of you. And Lord, I pray that we would be like that. Lord, thank you uh, that you are the light in the darkness. You are the God of hope. Lord, you give us so many good things. And I pray that that would be special to each one of us. 
Lord, we thank you so much for the wedding yesterday. Lord, we thank you for Gemma and Morgan. Lord, we thank you that it was such a special and happy day. Lord, we thank you that there were so many prayers that were answered. Lord, you know, uh, many here were praying for weeks beforehand, uh, maybe months as well and years. But Lord, we thank you especially for those prayers uh, that you answered so wonderfully on the day. And Lord, I thank you so much for their determination, Lord, for their wedding day to be more than about just them, but for their wedding day to be all about Christ's love for the church as well. Lord, I thank you so much that both of them, as individuals, have been such useful parts of your body on earth. And Lord, I pray that as a couple, Lord, that they would be even more useful. Lord, that you would continue to use them. Lord, as they show love to each other, Lord, that their love for each other would also spill out to others. Lord, just as your love does. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. Help them to be wonderful examples of what married life should be. Lord, I pray that you'd help them to get that balance of busyness and rest. Lord, do use them, but Lord, I pray that uh, you would give them the necessary rest as well so that they can serve you for many, many years. Lord, I thank you as well so much for blessing John and Esther and all those others who were involved in helping. Lord, I pray that you'd give them rest as they recuperate this week, Um, especially with John and Esther, with their responsibilities of leading church as well. Uh, Things going on this week, Lord, do help them to recover. Bless them, Lord, I pray. And Lord, I just thank you as well so much for uh, all the other helpers. Lord, the helpers that did so much for the wedding. And Lord, I thank you for church. Lord, that it is a family. Lord, a family that loves each other. And Lord, I thank you that There are Jesus-loving people who show Jesus to those around them by serving in in such humble ways. And Lord, we pray that you bless them, Lord, as they've blessed others. Lord, we pray for those as well who uh, are not so well at the moment. Lord, we think particularly of Caitlin at the moment. Lord, we thank you that she's been a bit better today. Um, But Lord, we do pray for her. We thank you so much for the joy and fun she brings to YPs uh, and all those she meets. And Lord, I pray uh, for Pete and Mandy. I pray, Lord, that they would be able to help her at this time uh, at home. And Lord, that uh, tomorrow as they are able to seek more hospital help, Lord, I pray that that would be useful. Lord, do be with them uh, today and tomorrow especially, I pray. Lord, I pray that you'd give great wisdom in that situation for the doctors and nurses and all those who are helping. Lord, do be with Caitlin, I pray. And Lord, we pray for Liz as well, and the family. Uh, Lord, it's a a shock, and uh, Lord, these things impact us. Lord, we thank you that she's being well looked after. Lord, we pray that she would know you very closely at this time. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you draw near to those who draw near to you. Lord, do be with her, and I pray that she would know that we as a church love her dearly as well. Lord, may she know that as a great comfort. Lord, bless the family as well. Lord, do strengthen them at this time and grant them peace as well. And Lord, I just pray for others as well. Lord, others that we don't know about. Others who are fighting secret battles, struggles, strains. Lord, I pray that they would seek you first. 
Lord, I thank you as well that there are many in this church who seek to support and care for those people. Lord, I pray that if we need help, encouragement, Lord, that we would feel able to reach out and that we would know the wonderful fellowship of a Christian church. And Lord, we now pray for us this evening. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us again. Lord, thank you for Rupert, that he's been willing to come and serve us in this way. Lord, thank you for his willingness, for his servant-heartedness. Lord, I pray that you would give him strength, uh, clarity of mind as he speaks to us. And Lord, that you would richly uh, speak through the Holy Spirit uh, in him. Lord, I pray that we would hear you this evening loud and clear. And Lord, I pray that we'd be moved in our hearts and minds by what we hear. So Lord, do speak to us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before Rupert comes and speaks to us, we're going to have uh, another song that very much fits the theme of what we're thinking about tonight. Uh, oh Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder. We're looking forward to Psalm 33 and, and some reasons to sing uh, in just a moment. And this next song makes us think along similar themes. So let's really take in what we're singing now before Rupert speaks to us. Thank you.
I'll do uh, turn to Psalm 33. And uh, to say again, it's been a great pleasure to be here again and to look at God's Word together with you. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with, harps of, with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Each of those verses start with a command. Shout for joy, give thanks to the Lord, sing to him. Uh, And there are three different Hebrew words. And in Hebrew, when you repeat a thing three times, that's the way of expressing the superlative. It is uh, an absolute command to rejoice. And it's preceded by the verse at the end of the previous psalm, which is very similar. Uh, Look in verse 11 of 32. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Uh, And the first verse of the next psalm says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And if we kept going through the psalms, we would find many similar exhortations and when we got to the last of the psalms psalm 150 the command praise the lord in the space of six verses comes 13 times so there isn't a great deal of space here for saying i don't feel like praising tonight it is god's will for us it is right for us Come on, forest fold, shout for joy uh, in the Lord, sing to him. And just in these first few verses, we see five things about singing. The first is, it is to him. Each phrase has a direction. Shout for joy in the Lord. Verse 2, give thanks to the Lord. Verse 3, sing to him a new song. It's not just a general command to be cheerful, uh, though that isn't a bad thing. Proverbs 17 says a joyful heart is good medicine, but this is praise and joy directed somewhere, directed to God. And the psalm is full of the Lord, isn't it? I mean, right from the beginning, the Lord's name is there in verse One, the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, make melody to him, verse 3, sing to him, and so on, all the way through the psalm, the word the Lord, Yahweh, uh, comes uh, 13 times in the psalm, and he, him or his, referring to God, comes 23 times, that's 36 direct references to the Lord. And at the end of the psalm, uh, the very last words are, as we hope in you. He's addressing the Lord. So this psalm has a, has a direction. It is to the Lord. Uh, and I hope that we have come to the Lord. Uh, it's possible to come to church and frankly, uh, you don't think about where there's any sense of direction. <laughs> You're just here. Uh, but this is rather more than just being here. 
This is about a praise to the Lord. The heart of praise is in who he is, as we saw this morning. So it's to him. Secondly, it's fitting. You see that in verse 1, praise befits the upright. It befits uh, the righteous. There's something fitting about it. The word literally is it's beautiful. For forgiven sinners, it's beautiful to praise the Lord. You see, what sin does is it silences human hearts. And all around the world, there are people who never, ever thank God for anything. Even though they have many reasons to thank God, they never do. Sin has silenced the human heart. But salvation makes believers sing. I was hearing just the other day of uh, the testimony of uh, a one-time Northern Irish terrorist, a Protestant paramilitary, He was 16 when his father was killed by the IRA and a year later he was in prison. He joined a a Protestant uh, paramilitary group and he murdered somebody and within the year he was in prison. And uh, in prison he heard the gospel and he came to faith. And his mother subsequently also came to faith. Both he and his mother And he said about his mother that as a child he was struck by how she loved to sing, even doing things around the house. She'd sing, but when his father was murdered, she stopped singing. But then, when she came to faith, she started to sing again. He said she's now in her 90s in a care home and she's still singing. And that's not surprising because salvation makes us sing and it's beautiful. So it's fitting, it's beautiful. Thirdly, it's musical. You, you notice all these instruments. I'm not entirely sure exactly what a lyre is like. I have some idea of a harp. Uh, but whatever it is, they are to be played enthusiastically. Um, it, it says play skillfully in verse 3. <coughs> Creativity in music is God-given. And, and while the instruments may change, the idea is clearly a biblical one that music helps us, it leads us, it carries us together in singing God's praises. So those who uh, play here, I hope you encourage, I hope you get encouraged, because it's a, it's a lovely part of what we do together in praising God. But also, not only is it musical, fitting unto him, it is to be fresh. Look in verse 3, sing to him a new song. Now that phrase comes a number of times, quite a number of times in the Psalms, it's also in Isaiah, and it reappears quite a lot, well, a number of times in Revelation. The command to sing a new song, or the description, they sang a new song. Now, I think it's great to use older songs as well as new ones, but the point here, I think, is not the date of the song, but the heart of the singer. That what you're singing is a fresh song, it is real, it is new from my heart to my God, a new song. And finally here, uh, there is a sense of exuberance, isn't there? Um, you, you see at the end of verse 3, 
uh, it says, sing to him a new song, play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Uh, there, there is an enthusiasm, and enthusiasm is, is not in the Bible's terms. It's, it's not just a, an emotion that comes and goes and where maybe you don't feel like it, that's fine. It's a choice. We are actually commanded to enthusiastically praise God. Well, you may say, why? Why all this emphasis on praise? Well, Psalm 33 gives us reasons to praise. You notice the first word of verse 4 is the word for. In other words, here's a reason. And in the psalm, there are two great reasons to sing. Firstly, because of what God says. And secondly, because of how God sees. So sing firstly, because of what God says, verses 4 to 12. Now, in this first half of the psalm, there's a, lot of, a number of references to the word of the Lord in one way or another. Verse 4, for the word of the Lord. Verse 6, by the word of the Lord. The later part of the verse, by the breath of his mouth. Verse 9, he spoke and it came to be, he commanded. The word of the Lord is reason to rejoice and sing to him. Firstly, because the word of the Lord is right. You see, it says in verse 4, the word of the Lord is upright. That word means straight. It's upright. It's right. It's true. I, I was uh, sitting in a coffee shop and uh, uh, preparing uh, this, uh, and I, I suddenly noticed that there was this big poster on the wall quite near to me of a girl, and it said, tell me beautiful, untrue things. You think about that. Tell me beautiful, untrue things. The girl wants to feel good about herself. It doesn't matter if it's not actually true. But of course it does. It does. Lies fall to the ground. There is no real solace except in truth. And everything God says is true. And you'll notice in verse 4 to 5, that this rightness is, is part of a whole. Uh, what I mean by that is, look, look how it's expressed in verse 4 and onwards. Um, the word of the Lord is upright. All his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. So there's the word of the Lord and the work of the Lord and the righteousness and justice and steadfast love of the Lord. I think what it's saying is that God's words are utterly consistent with all he is and does. Now, that is often not the case in our world. In Psalm 28 this morning, we read about people whose words were in one place. They say, shalom, peace, but their hearts were in another place, full of evil, at the same time. They said good things, but their hearts were somewhere else. And in church, it's especially easy to say great things. But it's much harder to live them. But, but you see, with God, there is no disconnect. No disconnect whatever between who he is all the time and what he says. And there's something about the tongue that is the measure of the whole person. Interesting verse in James 3. If anyone does not stumble in what he says... He is a perfect man. It's only God who is like that. It's only Jesus 
who was the perfect man. So God's truth, righteousness, justice, love, they all stand together. And I love that phrase, do you not, at the end of verse 5. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. There's something rather beautifully extravagant about that statement. You see, it's saying there's no place we go where God's unfailing love is not already present. Now that's true. It's true even where the physical environment you go is very unpleasant. It's true for all our brothers and sisters in prison on account of their faith. Even there is the steadfast love of the Lord. And all God's words are right and true. And therefore this statement is right and true. So wherever you will be this week, the steadfast love of the Lord is already there. Praise him. It's right. But his word is also powerful. And that's where verses 6 to 9 take us. It's powerful, firstly, over creation. That's why we sang some of the songs we did, or heard them sung. You see, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. So we read that at the very beginning of the Bible. The very first thing we hit, Genesis 1 verse 3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. He simply spoke. And just look at verse 6. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth all the heavens. By the word of the Lord. In the light of John 1, where we read that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and then in John 1 you find that the word became flesh, that actually, in the New Testament, we, we see it is actually a, embedded there as a reference to Jesus. Without him was not anything made that was made. So the word of God, the word of the Lord Jesus, formed all creation, the heavens and their hosts, verse 6, and the waters of the sea, verse 7. And they are both awesome. You think about the stars and think about the sea. Uh, the current estimates of the number of discernible stars are roughly 70 billion trillion. Now, I confess, that's a number I don't even understand. They are the more than our mind, we can get our minds round. And as the equipment we, we use develops and becomes more sophisticated, we just find, find there are masses more. There is more than we can take in, and God formed them all. Now it, it says there, by the breath of his mouth, all their host. By the breath of his mouth. I don't know what the breath of his, your mouth accomplishes. There are times when you feel as though you speak and it makes absolutely no difference. Um, well, the breath of God's mouth put all the millions, trillions of stars in place. That's how powerful his word is. And it's not just the, the, the stars, it's also the waters of the sea there in verse 7. Um, the, the sea is pretty, pretty awesome too. 70% of the earth is covered by ocean. Now we may rather enjoy seaside visits uh, on a sunny day, but the power of the ocean... Have you ever seen a storm? I mean like a real storm. I, as a child I was in a boat in the middle of the Indian Ocean uh, and we were caught up in a storm and there were these waves, I don't know how tall they were, 30, 40 feet, coming straight at the side of the boat. I looked out of the porthole 
And one moment you were way up in looking into the sky and the next moment you were submerged, it looked like forever, down at the bottom of the ocean, well, not quite. But that, it, it, you know, it wasn't good for the stomach. It was terrifying. If you've ever seen pictures of a storm in the Atlantic, you don't want to be there in the middle of a storm. But all these oceans, all this immensity, we read here in verse 7, God puts in the storehouses, like your shed or your garage, what you put your car in or your mower in. If God puts the whole oceans in his shed, that's the scale of his authority. But it's not just ancient history. Look in verse 7. He gathers, present tense, the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts, present tense, the deep in his storehouses. You see, this isn't just poetic description of the beginning of creation. This is a permanent description of what God is like. And that's why verse 8 is powerful. Let all the earth fear the Lord. All the people of the streets of London and New York and Tokyo and Beijing. All the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the earth stand in awe of him. For why? He spoke and it came to be. He commanded it and it stood firm. All it required was God to speak and it is. Remember on that lake when the disciples were in terror of the storm believing that they were very likely to drown and Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat and still asleep, amazingly, apparently unperturbed and they wake him in horror at the storm and he stands there and says, peace be still and there is this instant calm and the disciples who've been terrified by the storm are now terrified by the man in the boat who can speak and it happens. Who is this that the wind and the waves obey him? It says in Mark 4, they were filled with a great fear. I bet they were. You see, there's something awesome about creation, about the power and the authority of God's word in creation. It puts God in his place and puts us in our place. And that's why Satan, of course, does everything to destroy the doctrine of creation to foster the illusion that evolution removes the necessity for God altogether, which is an extraordinary leap of illogicality. You see, and it's absolutely key, because creation puts us in our place. We are just creatures, tiny in the scale of everything. And it puts God in his place, who is immense and over it all. But his word is not only powerful over creation. Verses 10 and 12, it's powerful over humanity. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. You see, the thing about God's power is it has no boundaries. It doesn't stop with the heavens and the seas. God created people too. So over, down in verse 15, it speaks of God as he who fashions the hearts of them all. He makes human beings and he rules the world of men as well as the world of creation, the physical creation. Um, his power cannot be limited to one sphere. He takes over everywhere. You see, 
and in verse 10 and 11, there's a, there's a contrast between the counsels and plans of men, those two words are used in verse 10, and the counsel and plans of the Lord, those two words are used in verse 11. Those of the nations and the peoples, we read in verse 10, the Lord brings their counsel to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. Uh, Some people think that having thought about Genesis 1, the psalmist's mind runs on to Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, when men collected together uh, to do something phenomenal, uh, to, to, to make a name for themselves. They made plans, but they utterly ignored God, and God utterly frustrates such human thinking. And all around us, there are powerful assemblies of powerful men and leaders of nations. They make plans and utterly ignore God. Well, their plans and their counsels cannot prevail. But look in verse 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Uh, As in verse 9, creation stood firm because of God's word. So in verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands, same word, stood firm forever. So the word of God is powerful and the word of God which created also tells us about, how do we know about the plans and purposes and counsel of God? Well, his word tells us. He plans to destroy the works of the evil one. He plans to work salvation through his son. He plans to judge the world and bring in a new heaven and earth. He plans that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Think of all those in the light of verse 11. This council stands forever to all generations. This is what is going to happen. We pray that, don't we? Uh, We were thinking this morning in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And God's going to answer that prayer. God's going to answer. That's not an idle prayer. And in our unbelieving, rebellious generation, we need to understand, because our society won't tell us this, but the man will not prevail, but God will prevail. We need to write that into our hearts this week and teach our children this this week. And the most wonderful thing is for this God of this limitless power and authority to be our God. And he is. Look in verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. This isn't a nation uh, that is based on, uh, on ethnicity. It's not some sort of racial uh, lineage. Nor is it based on geography in one part of the world. It is based on a relationship with God, which God has brought into being, whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen. And you and I in Christ are part of that nation. Uh, And and there is no greater privilege. Uh, I don't know if you feel excited about church. I hope you do. Because it is, at the end of time, the only group you want to belong to. When Christ returns, all that will matter is that you are counted among those people, the nation whose God is the Lord. Sing, because that is what God says. We are part of his people.
His word is powerful. His word is right. And his word is the word that has brought life to us. Sing. But also sing because of how God sees. And that takes us to the second half, verses 13 to the end. You see, these verses are full of God seeing. Just as there was a theme of God speaking, there is here a theme of God seeing. So verse 13, the Lord looks down, he sees. Verse 14, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. Verse 15, he observes. Verse 18, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. God's seeing is the theme of the second part. And and it concludes in verse 21, for our hearts are glad in him, rejoice in him. There is joy in understanding that God sees as well as speaks. There are two ways God sees. You see, in verse 13 to 17, God sees, the Lord sees all mankind. The Lord, look at it, verse 13, the Lord looks down from heaven, he sees all the children of men. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. You you can't escape the word all there. Where where to understand, there are no exceptions here. There there is no corner, uh, there is no child too small or person too hidden or, or, or people who are too insignificant. Everyone is seen everywhere. Uh, even those who do not recognize his reality. And it isn't just an outward seeing, uh, like as if God were a CCTV. Uh, No, verse 15 (coughs) tells us that God is the one who fashions the hearts of the male. God God sees into the hearts, he made the heart, as well as what we do outwardly. There are no secrets from God, uh, whether it's President Putin or President Biden or the newest born infant, God sees and knows all. And he sees all the deeds and hearts of everyone in Crowborough. Everyone in this church and everyone who's not in this church. And everyone in the nation. And everyone in the world. And he understands everything because he sees. Now in one sense that's very consoling. Because it means we are perfectly understood and comprehended. The Bible invites us to talk to God, but we don't actually come to God to inform him. He already knew. He invites us to talk to him, to pour out our hearts to him. But how wonderful we are perfectly understood. Even, incidentally, when we are so confused about ourselves, we don't know what to say. God understands us completely. It's consoling, but actually the point here is really that it's alarming. You see, uh, look how verse uh, 30, the psalm moves from this seeing in verses 13 to 15 to a series of emphatic negatives in verses 16 and 17. Do you see this? The king is not saved. A warrior is not delivered. End of verse 17. The great horse cannot rescue. Not saved, not delivered, not rescued. It's, it's about what cannot save. Now, why do we suddenly move from God's seeing to this desperate search for how we can be saved. Because the God who made us and sees us is the one who will call us to account. Hebrews 4.13 uses some of the language from this psalm or something very similar where it says, no creature is hidden from his sight, 
but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. He sees us and to him we give account. And the greatest question facing every individual is how shall I escape from the eyes of him who sits on the throne of judgment? How shall I escape? And the answer is we can't escape. We can't save ourselves from God's sight. And verse 16 is saying that the sources of strength that the powerful relied on don't work. The big army, that's not going to save you. The mighty warrior, the huge war horse, they're useless. All the military equipment in the world, all the power that this world looks to is useless. What what do we rely on? I mean, in this room, we're not relying on horses and armies, but when we come to God, we may be counting on our intelligence or, I suppose, our family that we're born into or maybe our church going or our qualifications or our money. And, you know, none of it works when it comes to God. Nothing like of that sort works. You see, it is actually alarming to understand that God sees all of us because it exposes the fact that all of us are not what we should be. Not one of us. We want to present ourselves as pleasant, reasonable, charming, funny, whatever it may be. But actually God who sees everything knows all the other things that are less attractive too. And God is going to bring to all this world his righteousness and his justice, it says in verse 5. His righteousness and his justice. And actually, that is a, a cause for thanksgiving. It's a bit like we thought this morning. There's a number of overlaps between where we were this morning and this evening. But Psalm 98 is a psalm exhorting us to praise. It says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. And it's full of exhortations. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth break into joyous song and sing praises. Let the sea roar and all, who, all that fills it. Let the world and all those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For, now this is the point, all this tremendous emphasis on praising God. Why should we praise you, Lord? For he comes to judge the world. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. End of Psalm 98. Sing, it's actually a cause of celebration because, because God sees perfectly, he can judge justly. Human courts can never see perfectly. You have the evidence presented, but that evidence is partial. But God has universal knowledge. Sing, because the God who sees all mankind will bring all evil into judgment. Well, you say, that still leaves me pretty fe feeling pretty uncomfortable because he sees all that is wrong about me. Well, that's why we need also to be assured that the Lord also sees in another way in verse 18 to 19. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Behold! See, look here! It's, it's a, he sees, and here he invites us to see as well. You see, by the end of verse 17, we're in a situation of no rescue. We cannot be rescued. 
not by ourselves. But verse 18 brings us hope. The eye of the Lord, the same eye that terrifies us because it exposes everything, this eye of care and mercy is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. It's a very different sort of seeing. And the key thing about these people is that they combine fear with hope. Now think about that. Fear with hope. Now, on the face of it, fear and hope don't, you know, aren't natural friends, you would have thought. But in the Bible's language, they are. Because, you see, it's only those who fear God, who understand that he's a holy God who's going to call us to account, who are desperate to find rescue. And when they put their hope in the rescue God has provided, they find safety. But you see, what good is the rescue God has provided if you don't think you're in any danger? Jesus died for me, so what, says most people. Because there's no sense of the wrath of God that is to come. But when you understand that you ought to fear God, then indeed you have reason to put your hope in his steadfast love. There's, there's no safety running away from God, only safety running to him. Hope in his steadfast love, and the supreme expression of his steadfast love is in the gospel, isn't it? It's on the cross. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, there is all the hope in the world locked into that phrase. His steadfast love. And that's why we can rejoice. Uh, you see, that this wonderful sense that, that God has a sort of seeing of his own that is the most wonderful wonderful seeing, like a mother who sees her little baby. There's this empathy, there's this care. Uh, uh, just look in chapter, uh, Psalm 32, verse 8, the end of it. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. In our psalm, verse 18, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Look in the next psalm, chapter, uh, Psalm 34, verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. And it's as though God keeps saying it to us in the Bible. He keeps saying, I'm looking on you in mercy. And verse 19 spells out what that means. That he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. See, the psalmist isn't in some ideal world. He's in a real world of death and famine, of COVID and tiredness, of war and starvation, of persecution and brutality and bereavement and all the pressure points of life. And the Bible's assurance is the Lord's eye is on us. But it's on us in a certain way. That he may deliver. Now, sometimes we see something that's about to happen and we cannot do anything about it. A parent may care very much that their little child's about to fall over, but they watch it, watch them, and they can't get there in time to stop it happening. Or more frighteningly, perhaps you may see a car that's out of control on the road and you can see it, but you can't stop it doing whatever it is doing. But God sees that he may deliver and keep. How wonderful that that's the way he sees us. And he sees us through our life. He sees you right now. And he delivers us from more than we will ever know. Doesn't he? 
How many things have you been saved from that you know about? Well, some. When I was a little child, about four, I, I almost fell down a very deep well. I almost certainly have died. And in a remarkable way, I was saved. I have reason to thank God for saving me. But I suspect there are many, many thousands of other times when God has saved me. You know, the timing of when I left home driving the car. Or whatever it was. There are so many things. We never know how much he delivers us from. But here, will you notice, of course, that the psalmist assures us of this fact that the Lord delivers their soul from death and keeps them alive in famine, but he's not here now. In other words, he, he died. Despite this promise, and we all will, unless the Lord returns. And yet, verse 19 is surely indicating something, perhaps there's a glimmer of something there, more, more significant still. That he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Uh, how does God deliver us from death? Well, ultimately, it's not about stopping you falling down a well. Ultimately, he delivered us from death by dealing with the sore cause of death at Calvary. That's how he deals with death. And he undid the power of death itself by raising Jesus from the dead who will raise us from the dead. The Lord Jesus is actually the answer there in verse 19. He is the one who will deliver our souls from death and keep us alive in famine. And the Lord Jesus, he, he was into food. Do you ever notice that? that? I'm sure you have. He, he, he's, how many times he's spoken of is at meals. And, and then he doesn't just attend meals, he provides the food very often. So there are 5,000. And perhaps many, many more. 5,000 men, how many more people? He take a few loaves and fishes and he feeds the lots. And there, there are so many baskets over. 12 basketfuls over. They're much more than they had at the begin with. He feeds them all. And he promises, he invites us to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Famine is going to be abolished forever and we will be satisfied forever. Sing tonight... Because the eye of the Lord is on you. This isn't just in the psalm. This is here in Forest Fold. This is true right now for you. If you're a believer, that God's eye is on you. If you have feared him such that you put your hope in his steadfast love, his eye is on you and will never be taken off you. How wonderful. You see, you should be singing tonight and praising God for these things. So praise God for the way that he speaks his word and praise God for the way that he sees us. Therefore, the last two verses, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Our heart is glad in him. If we take Psalm 33 to heart, God's powerful truth in it, there must be a therefore. It's not enough to, to sit here and listen and move on as if God's word were like a news item. You ever watch the news and five minutes later you'd really be quite hard put to describe much of what the news was about. Well, is that how God's word is for you? Here are three marks of God's people. Firstly, they're waiting in hope. Do you see verse 20? Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Waiting, waiting. There is waiting and waiting. Have you ever had the experience of waiting for a bus? 
And, and eventually, you really, you, you come to understand this bus is not going to come. Somehow, something's gone wrong. This particular bus is never going to arrive, and it never does. Or maybe you're waiting for something horrible that you can't avoid. When I was a child, the things I most hated in life were the dentist, who I hated passionately, and Latin lessons, which I also hated passionately. I couldn't avoid them. I knew they were coming, but I was waiting in horror. But there's also another sort of waiting, isn't there? There's waiting with eager anticipation for your wedding day. Or there's the child waiting for Christmas. Uh, there's a waiting and a waiting. And, and Christians should be waiting in that second category. Yes, we're still in a world of death and famine, but our God, remember, has plans. And they can't fail one day. Do, do you ever go out and look at the sky? Well, I'm sure you do. But I wonder if you ever look up at the sky and think, one day, one day the skies are going to open. One day we'll be filled with the glory unimaginable. One day all humanity will forget about football and politics and everything else. One day Christ will visibly return. One day. And he will deal with evil everywhere. But right now, look in verse 20. He is, present tense, our help and shield. Even before he comes. You see, he's not just sitting there remotely till he comes. He's actively on the job for you right now. Our help, our, our, our shield. Write that into your week. He is my help and my shield. He never takes his eyes off you. Stop panicking. Stop panicking. Put your theology into your reactions this week. I need to do that every day. And my guess is you need to do that too. Waiting in hope. Then rejoicing in trust, verse 21. Our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Uh, isn't that a lovely phrase? Our heart is glad in him. Is your heart glad? Glad in him. The word glad is usually actually translated in the ESV, rejoices in him. And it, it's got the connection that we saw in the psalm this morning between trust and joy. Our heart is glad in him, joyous, because we trust. Uh, and of course the opposite is true. Little trust, little joy. Soak your head in who your God is. If you're trusting his holy name, you've got to rejoice. You've got to sing. Trust him and sing. And finally, talk to him. Verse 22, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. See, at the end of this psalm, he's no longer talking about God, he's talking to God. And that's where we all need to go. It's great to be here thinking about God, but you know, afterwards you need to talk to God about these things. Uh, Satan loves to make praying seem prosaic, a bit of a chore. Satan's lying to us. And notice the psalmist isn't praying here by himself. Let your steadfast love be upon us, plural, even as we, plural, hope in you. You see, there's something special about crying out to God together. There is special grace to be found in Forest Fold by praying together. You know, when the disciples returned after Jesus has ascended in Acts 1, do you know what they did? They gathered together constantly in prayer. Their instinct was absolute. That's what we need to do. When persecution begins in Acts, 
In Acts 4, after Peter and John have been hauled in by the Sanhedrin and they come back and report to the church, what did they do? They gathered together and they cried out to God. In Acts 12, and Herod had James executed and Peter was awaiting execution. You know what the church did? They gathered together. They could have all prayed separately. But they knew that somehow they needed to pray together. In Acts 20, when Paul said farewell to the Ephesian Christians, the elders, you know, they ended up in tears, knelt on the beach, praying together. There's something about praying. One of the marks of God's people is they don't just talk about God, they talk to God together. Be desperate for God. That is a recipe of health. That's how we need to be. And you see that final that phrase in verse 22, let your steadfast love be upon us. So we're not loved because we pray so much. We're treasured so much because God has set his love on us. But you'll notice in this psalm how much there is about his steadfast love. Look back in verse 5. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Verse 18, those who hope in his steadfast love. Verse 22, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be on us, even as we hope in you. He loves you. He's not too busy for you. He never has forgotten you. Sing to him. Sing to him again and again. Say thank you to him. Talk to him. Until the day Jesus comes back. Until those sky, that sky opens up. Until all the Lord's plans and purposes are fulfilled. Until we gather together with an immense company and all the angels as well. And all the countless generations of believers before us. Uh, and sing his praises. And you will not be able to stop singing his praises that day. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we long for that day when we will not be able to stop praising you. When we will see the grandeur of the whole thing that you have done and it will burst the bounds of our expression and will take us eternity to speak of your praises and we will rejoice beyond our present understanding and capacity in who you are and what you've done. But Lord, right now, we do want to ask you to help us to praise you, to sing to you, to shout for joy to you, to know what it is, to not let sin silence us, but to let the Spirit of God and the truth of God give our voice wings. Lord, may we sing because of what you said. May we sing because your word is right and powerful. May we sing because you see, and that is the guarantee of justice in our world. And Lord, because you see in mercy all who run to you. Lord, we want to be these sorts of people who don't just hear the word, but live it and sing it. Tonight and always. Amen.